You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. He played 10 years in the NFL, including six here in Washington. I host the Hoffman Show 3 to 6 daily on the Team 980. You can always stream us as well. The same place or one of the places you can stream this podcast live on the always free Odyssey app. And Logan, that was a little bit of a nail biter. We talked about it in the in the immediate aftermath. Uh, anything yeah. major change from your observations now that you've had a chance to dive into the film, which is, of course, what we do on Wednesdays, d- deep dive into the game. We also have a mailbag question at the end of this one, but big overarching takeaways after watching the film. Yeah, I think there's probably two, and we can kind of break it up offense, defense, like you said. But um, the defense really struggled big time outside of a couple sequences of plays. And then I think Taylor Heineke actually played a little bit better than I thought. Like, if you watch his first probably 10 throws, I mean, those throws and the way he's reading the defense will probably rival anybody in the NFL. And then he goes through like a five to seven play period where it's like, what is happening? And then he kind of gets back into good form near the end of the game. So I think. You know, like the the good was really, really, really good. And the bad obviously was very bad interception, you know, flicking the ball and all this kind of stuff. Almost a second interception to A.J. Terrell. But um, I'd say overall, man, like I was a little bit down on him coming out of the game. But then when you watch like throw for throw and, you know, obviously the game flows a little bit different like in real life. But when you watch throw for throw on the all 22, you're like, man, he, he, he did a did a good job. And like you see all the things we've talked about in terms of him the, the value adds and also some of the things that he struggles with. But I think on the whole, it's just been really nice to kind of see him taking steps in the right direction. And obviously he's at his best when he's not turning the football over or putting it in harm's way. But I think the other stuff besides those turnover worthy plays was, was pretty high level specifically that first drive. He made some excellent throws. Then the next, the, the following drive, he made some, or the, the, the first drive of the second quarter, excuse me, did some really nice uh, stuff in terms of uh, buying time in the pocket and making completion. So that was kind of one thing that really stuck out to me. And then obviously, by extension, the offensive line, I think, deserves a lot of credit because um, they pass protected very well. A little bit of that Scott scheming stuff up for him, and then they blocked really well. I think they left some stuff on the table, but we can talk about that more in detail as we go. Yeah, let's start with the passing game um, yeah. because – what like Taylor on that first drive was incredible. He's four for incredible. four. It was funny because Mar- Mariota was like four for four on the first drive for like a half a yard. And yeah. Taylor comes out slinging, has that 25, 26 yard completion of Terry on the first play, has another big chunk play. He goes four for four for serious yardage on that first drive. What, like, why couldn't he ultimately sustain it though? Like, where did it fall off the rest of the game? Because, I mean, he came out so sharp and you just are hoping, obviously, that he can get a little bit more consistent, even though, you know, I think, I think I, I, before I let you answer that, I do want to say this, like Taylor's yardage total 
is massively hampered by his interception. Because if they, they have the ball on the 47-yard line, right? And if they drive 40 yards uh, down the field there, mostly on the back of his arm, like that yardage total is now up at 175, which is still not like a big day. But when you run the ball 37 times and only throw it 23, um, you know, all of a sudden that, that completion, let's say the attempts go up by five, like 170 yards on 28 attempts, like that's not bad. But he throws a pick on the first play. And sometimes where you stack actual yardage is in some of those two minute situations. And he robbed himself with, and it's his own fault. That's a terrible pick. Right. Uh, I'm assuming that watching the tape, you did not come to any kind of different conclusion. Um, but like it's, overall, it's hard to it's hard to know like exactly what he's looking at. Even like it was right. so it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but his like there the weather, uh, a couple of drop balls, and, and also just the sheer number of attempts does affect his yardage total. That said, he's clearly sharper on that first drive than he is at any other point in the game. So what changed uh, to to have that effect? Well, I kind of felt like even when I was watching it, then when you watched it on the playback, they had this excellent first drive where they were finding these chunk plays off of play action, some straight drop back stuff, but all kind of supplemented by the run game, which is what they've been doing. And then the next series, they come out and they try to throw the ball on first and second down. And it kind of harkened back to, um, you know, what they were doing with Carson Wentz at quarterback. And then you see the offensive line give up a couple of pressures. And it's like, okay, this is not, I felt like Scott needed a reminder. Like, this is not who we are. This is not where we're at our best. Then they were kind of get, able to get back into more of a normal commander's game flow, run, play action, pass. Heineke did an excellent job. You know, it was the drive where they, they ended up getting the field goal, but, like, checking the ball down, understanding the coverage. Like, there was a beautiful um, – it's quarters coverage, right? They're, they're running, like, a, a scissors concept to the left, so a corner and, like, a nine or a go, and then two digs on the backside. And that's going to be dead versus quarters like 90% of the time. He takes a little bit of a beat, and then the ball's immediately to the back. The next series, it's uh, Tampa 2, um, or Tampa 2 or quarters, I don't remember exactly, but it's the angle route to um, Brian Robinson underneath. Again, just understanding pre-snap with the coverages, getting the ball out quickly. I thought he did an excellent job of that on that drive. And even the throw to Bates I thought was really, really nice. But again, it was like a tick late, right? And I think that's the thing that kind of, started the slide for me is it got he was a tick late on the throw to Bates he threw the interception he was a tick late on the ball to Terry you know just a, and it's a it's a fraction of a second but you know for how well he's been anticipating throws I thought that that was something that really fell down and then he kind of got back and they're like checking the ball down understanding where the ball needed to go and making some plays off schedule and so I think um not off schedule but like in the rhythm and timing of the play yeah, it's kind of dictated schedule. right 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 and so I think um I think that was it, right? Scott kind of lost it for a second, got back to it. He looked really good. I mean, there's the completion to Gibson right there on the dragon concept, slant flat versus a man concept. The linebacker gets picked. Gibson gets a nice first down. There's the third and two where he like rolls out after getting a little bit of pressure and finds Terry for the big chunk like that. The first two or three series of the game outside of the, so the first, the first series, the second series wasn't very good, but I think that was more play calling. The third series was good. And then to miss the throw to Bates, I think kind of started a little bit of a skid because then he goes, missed the throw to Bates, missed the throw to Terry, which is a really tough throw, throws the interception the next play. And then he kind of goes through a little spat where it's like he was a little late, not quite there, probably four or five throws, finds his rhythm again and is able to kind of right the ship. But I think that to me is it, – it's so, again, it's, it's a little bit play calling, right? Scott – resurrected that corrected that very quickly the next drive then he go then he went on a little bit of an internal kind of 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like mess, you know, it wasn't quite right. Yeah, it just, the, yeah the, it got off, got off kilter, got off, it was, off rhythm, off everything. And it was very slight, but it was enough because, you know, his margin for error is so small. So very slight, but eventually he gets it corrected and, um, you know, they're able to win the football game. And I think I forgot how well he played on those first two drives of the game because he played at a really, really high level. And obviously you can't look at those in isolation, but you say, man, if he can, if he can do that for four quarters, like this team could do some damage the second half of the season. It's just about whether he's capable of playing with that level of consistency. And really that's what separates good quarterbacks from average quarterbacks is that level of consistency. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting to hear you too say Scott lost it for a bit. I mean, it felt like they were pretty consistent with their game plan, but you know, it was, it was really just those... one, it was really just one series, right? He tries to come out throwing the ball early. Taylor takes a pressure, right? It's that one where they, um, Epiquete kind of stunts around off of a chip and hits a Taylor in the legs as he's trying to flick it to Gibson in the flat, you know, then the yep. next play is a pressure, kind of that, right? Yeah. That the literal flick. Yeah. And then they came out. So they came out trying to throw the football, I think is the thing that, um, that kind of stuck with me as a set, as opposed to saying, Hey, remember, this is who we are. This is what we want to be. We're going to run the ball on first and second down and kind of manage our third down experience. And, um, and I feel like Scott was like, all right, yep. Lost my head there for two seconds. Kind of had a bad, not a bad series, but a, an inconsistent series. Let's get back to it. And it was, they were right back on the saddle. So I don't want to say like Scott called a bad game because I think he called a really nice game. And I think you said it on the post game show, like the rhythm that he's getting in for as a play caller has been awesome. And again, guys, he's calling stuff. I think maybe not the most complicated stuff in the whole world, but he's calling stuff that speaks to the personnel in a really nice way that speaks to what the guys like to do and what they can run really well. And it's really a testament to Scott and really this offense because you know, obviously, I don't think Atlanta's defense is outstanding, but it was, I think, a really well-called game by Scott. And um, outside of a couple plays by Taylor, I think you say that's a pretty solid performance. Yeah, definitely. So um, the one other thing that I, I talked about a little bit on the show yesterday and, and mentioned on the pod, I think, as well, is and, – and this is, I guess, a little bit of a defense of Scott coming out throwing uh, in some of that those situations is – I do think they've done a good job early in games of being unpredictable. Like they teams yeah. know they want to run it and they're going to get there eventually. But I'm curious after you watch the tape, like you you watch Atlanta's response defensively, how how are they playing things early and how does maybe some of that first drive open them up a little bit or is it just kind of they they never really changed and, and Washington just ran it down their throats anyway specifically with Brian Robinson? Yeah, I don't think anything particularly changed. I think that was always going to be on the table, especially if they were going to play like this kind of coverage emphasis, which Atlanta had done. You know, they didn't play a lot of cover three, which was a little surprising. I thought they'd play more cover three. Um, but I think again, Scott deserves a lot of credit. This team deserves a lot of credit. Uh, the offensive line did a good job of kind of resetting the line of scrimmage. I think everyone says, oh, B-Rob had an excellent game and he had a fantastic game. But one of the things I think that really stuck out to me is the offensive line's ability to kind of reset the line of scrimmage and make sure he wasn't getting hit in the backfield. When you look at like the Houston game, for example, B-Rob had a solid game, but he's getting hit a lot in the backfield. Philly game, same type of thing, right? This was the first game we really got to see B-Rob kind of get into the second level of the defense and use that big frame, lean on smaller defenders, and, and kind of impose his will on the game. And I think um, it just shows like the level of efficiency that Scott is getting in terms of calling the run game because I know they ran a lot of duo, but they ran a little bit of counter. They bring that jet sweep action into Gibson. 
Um, they run a couple reverse kind of actions, which again kind of unsettles the defense. The, another play call, which was really, really subtle, is they got in the same formation. So they got a tight end to the left on the ball. I think it's Bates. And then they got Logan Thomas off the ball to the right, which is what they've been running duo out of. So they bring the tight end back across the formation. It looks just like duo. But the back's angle, instead of hitting the play side A gap, so kind of right behind Norwell, he pushes it to right behind Trey Turner. And so obviously that looks, it smells, it feels like duo. In actuality, it's tight zone to the right. And the linebackers, their response to that SIF motion is insane. Like they all jump a gap over, and there's a huge glaring hole there on the front side of the run that probably would have gone for like a 30-yard gain if uh, Larson and Norwell are a little bit more consistent on the double team. It ends up being like a seven or eight-yard gain. But the, the awareness of Scott in that situation to say like, this is a run that looks, smells, feels the same, but gives us a little bit different aiming point for the back and lets him hit it a little bit differently in terms of aggressiveness to the front side. I think, again, just speaks to his evolution in terms of how much more comfortable he's getting calling runs consistently. And it um, and it shows up in a really nice way. Yeah, I think there was a, a term used in the broadcast. Um, I'm trying to remember whether you said it or whether uh, Adam or Schlereth said it in the broadcast, but they they said that Scott's starting to become stubborn with the run game and like being yeah. okay with being stubborn in the run game. And, and you see that obviously with 39 and 37 attempts in the last two weeks. Um, I, I will ask just from a, like a clarity standpoint moving forward, like the lack of touches for Dotson, the lack of touches for Samuel as receivers, is that something that was kind of how Atlanta played it meets lack of opportunities because of the lower numbers. Like what, what was the reason that it was kind of like terrier bust in the past game? Uh, and you know, a couple other guys obviously get involved throughout the game. Bates and Robinson have the touchdowns. You get a couple of checkdowns here and there, but nothing. I mean, Dotson's only target I think was the pick. And that was, as we were yeah. talking about, I do want to talk about the pick more in depth, but like, uh, that's that's not really a target because he was nowhere near. Um, and, and Curtis doesn't really get anything in the past game, although he was obviously involved in an important way, as you mentioned, in the run game uh, to kind of get some of that edge stuff on the on the end of rounds and, and reverses. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Scott is – I don't want to – no, no, that's a, this isn't a Scott thing. He, he just keeps calling his offense, right? He's calling his offense. Right. He's, he's, try, he's finding ways to get Terry touches. And, Which is um, the most important thing, by the way. I will yeah. take this version over the version earlier in the season where you're just like, hey, how come 17 can get the ball? I will take most of the passing game running through Terry all day, every day. It just feels like if we're looking for ways to become more explosive, you're looking for ways to become more consistent, that a wider use of the very capable weapons that they have is obviously going to help that cause. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think um, I really just think there's like not a ton of opportunities, like even on, you know, there's 24 attempts, but even in those 24 attempts, like they're out of different personnel groupings, there's different people on the field. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, sure. And I just think like it's he's just calling his offense. And I, and I actually like how the offense is going. I like that we're not trying to manufacture touches for certain guys. It's just kind of happening organically, organically. And Taylor's reading the coverages out he's getting the ball where it needs to go as opposed to you know i mentioned how he kind of went through a period where he's checking the ball down a ton i love seeing that from him because I, I don't want him to be overly aggressive putting the ball in harm's way yeah like you could put that ball in there and try to make that throw but why you know we're running the football really well the defense is playing well let's just try to stay on schedule and for him to do that with the level of consistency 
consistency that he was able to, I think just is a, is a sign of his maturity and it's a sign of a healthy offense in a way. So I know everyone wants to get touches to uh, Jahan. I want to see Jahan get more touches. I want to see Curtis get more touches, but I think they'll come in the offense. And I think as, you're, as long as you're winning games, that's okay. Um, because really right now, the people that are going to get the most touches in this offense are the backs, right? Robinson's going to get a whole yeah. bunch of touches. He's going to get touches in the passing game. Gibson's going to get touches. He's going to get touches in the passing game. So, I mean, how many catches did the backs have on the day? Uh, they had a, a quite a few. I don't have the stats up in front of me in the moment. Sorry, I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, I know Robinson obviously had the touchdown reception, uh, which is very nice. You'll love to see that. Uh, overall, on the day, Robinson had where did it go? Uh, he had two. Gibson had three. They each had three targets apiece, which again doesn't sound like a lot. But when you only have 14 team receptions on the day, that's over a third of them to get five, yeah. and, you know, six of 22 on the targets. Yeah. And then uh, do you have McLaurin's targets up there? Yeah. Uh, Terry had six targets, four catches. Six targets, four catches. So again, like there's half your offense right there, half of your receiving offense right there. And uh, you're not throwing the ball a ton. Um, did uh, Bates had two targets, two or three targets, right? So he, had a, he actually had a four on the day, four three targets. Uh, and three catches at 24 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, Logan Thomas had three as well, but only got the one catch for seven yards. Right. Yeah, so again, like obviously those pieces, the tight ends, the backs, are going to be a bigger percentage of the offense because you're going to be in that personnel a little bit more. Those kind of run-first personnels are going to be on the field a little bit more, and so those guys are going to get more touches. And quite frankly, like I'm okay with that because right now I feel like this team really knows who it is, that who knows who they are, and they know where they – um where they're going to make progress and they're going to make their hay. So uh, as much as people want to see more touches, I want to see those touches too. Like that's not the nature of the offense at the moment. And, um, you know, I think that's something to kind of look at this off season and say, Oh, like, how do we get those guys more involved? But as of right now, I think, I think this is it, you know, call the offense, call the play passes, get Terry some touches, you know, check the ball down to the backs, all those things. And um, Jahan and Curtis, We'll get touches. I mean, we've seen Curtis get touches in games, obviously, um, yeah. being a big part of it. Against and that, that is something that I think I, is so important. Like, Curtis getting the touches in the run game is probably, honestly, more important than him getting touches in the pass game because he creates that different look, which keeps the defense off balance. Him coming in those jet sweep motions helps with the other elements of the run game with the threat of him actually getting it. Like that stuff is so much more important than him getting touches in the pass game. It's just, it, it kind of just goes to the larger philosophical discussion and we don't need to dive into it for the 800th time uh, in this particular episode. Um, but it, it goes to show that like Taylor is, and a lot of our commenters have actually said various versions of this that I like. And it's like Taylor is the quarterback of right now for this team. But it's very clear he's not the quarterback of the future because of what we're talking about. You just can't have this type of weaponry, especially when you spent money on it in Curtis and high draft picks on it in Jahan, go unused. But that's going to require a different quarterback who can operate low sack totals you know, and do all the things that Taylor's doing while also having some of the upside of what Carson theoretically was supposed to give you. Um, and, and you just live with this for now, but finding a, a different identity with a different quarterback is something that's like on the to-do list for the future. Um, mm -hmm. For right now, using these guys in the ways that you are, I mean, they've been done a good job while he didn't get a carry this week. Jahan has gotten reversed basically every other week. Like They're finding ways to get those guys the ball, knowing that it's not necessarily going to come in the passing game because of how they're how and who is operating that part of their offense right now. Yeah, and I also think it's important to point out that like it's not just a quarterback thing necessarily. It's also an offensive line 
right. thing. Like they are not a team that is built to drop back pass a ton, right? We saw how that looked earlier in the season. We saw that looked against uh, Detroit, against Philly, all these different teams, right? They just against Dallas, for example, they just couldn't protect it, right? right. And you know that's it's tough protecting in the NFL at that kind of level. So it's not a total indictment of them. But this is a team with the personnel that they have that's built to run the football with the offensive line. So I think that that's something that fans need to also consider. Like as much as he's not the quarterbacker right now, it's not like you could take, you know, what's a kid from Alabama, Bryce Young, and put yeah. him in the system and have him be successful right away. Like you need to upgrade at the offensive line in terms of finding guys who are better pass protectors, right? So I think a big priority this offseason, which we've talked about, is finding another offensive lineman, right? You know, and maybe bumping Cosby in a guard, getting a nice big right tackle shoring up that protection and then all of a sudden the complexion of the team changes right you do have the ability to like push the football down the field and that's the other thing that's important to note is like the passing game that scott runs is a down the field passing attack so you do need excellent pass protectors right so it's mm -hmm. not like this uh, a version of kansas city where it's screens and quick game and there's multi levels and you get patrick mahomes elevating the offensive line by avoiding pressures all that kind of stuff it's a little different so you need to make sure the personnel I think for Scott and for Ron, this offseason fits the scheme. And it, that is a quarterback, but it's also offensive line too. And I think that's something, um, again, to keep an eye on moving forward. But I think it's also important to understand because it's not, it's not a totally fair criticism of Heineke to say he's the reason that the weapons aren't being used. There's another factor there that's right. limiting the effectiveness of that group. Totally. Uh, with that said, what is this group doing so well in the run game? I mean, 176 yards on the ground. Uh, it wasn't the best rush day in the NFL yesterday, but that or this weekend, but that's only because Josh Jacobs ran for 229 for Vegas and Philly ran for 363 in their game. Jalen <laughs> Hurts, yeah, Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders both had they, between the two of them, they averaged 150 yards. I think one had 157, one had 143, which is bananas uh, but washington bananas. Had, washington consistently has been one of the best rushing teams over the last you know six seven eight weeks so what is it while they're not great pass protectors what have they been able to do in the run game to shore this up i know you know ron was asked about tyler larson yesterday and his role in this uh, as a blocker but also as a guy kind of coordinating I, I know there were some missed targets earlier in the season like what what is what has gone right for them because it feels like we have been a little hypercritical and um you know just, again we're just like trying to flush out flush out what this team is right and it's not like the offense mm -hmm. was killing it they still did score 19 points they still didn't have a, an amazingly high uh yardage total certainly in the passing game so it's not like we're just going to be like oh well uh who cares um that's not a very good I, someone commented something like that the other day and i was like what do you want us to do be like up oh, they won all right that's it that's the podcast right like, you know we're, we're not just picking nits to to be mean it's 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 more insightful this way but also, insight can be uh, giving credit where it's due, and this offensive line uh, clearly deserves some credit in the run game, as does obviously Brian Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is that the offensive line has gotten more consistent, but also th I, I do believe that Scott has simplified what he's calling and when he's calling it. So like we've talked about a lot on this show, and I, and I talk about it a lot because I think it is very relevant, is that they are running a, a lot of duo. And they're get to getting to it out of multiple personnel groupings, multiple different motions and pre-snap sets, which gives the illusion of complexity. However, that illusion of complexity is actually really simple for the offensive line because they say, oh, all the target is the same on duo, regardless of the personnel, right? And our blocking combinations are the same. The calls are roughly the same. Obviously, there's some variation depending on whether there's three tight ends to the right and one to the left. That's We're getting in the weeds there a little bit. But... For, on the whole, that's that's going to simplify things for that group. 
So they they do still run counter. They do still run a little bit of RPO zone stuff, but not as much. So I do think that they've really brought that package in and made it really, really tight and sleek. And they've got kind of their base runs. Like it would be really interesting now that you've asked this to go back and look at how many total runs they were running early in the year and how many total runs they're running now, right? Because I, I really think they've simplified it. I mean, I, I don't want to say this, they don't mean this disparagingly, but I think they probably ran five runs in the game, right? They run duo, they run yeah. counter. That's not disparaging at all. Like yeah. that's a that's great. Like I mean, yeah. the old cla- like the classic old guy story in Washington was you know, oh, we used to run 50 gut and we just uh, call it and run it again. And it's like, you know, Doc Walker loves to tell that story. But so does Clinton Portis. For years yeah. and years and years, like decades of football, you you hear about they ran this one play until the other team could stop it and they never could. And like, if you can do that in the NFL, it's not literally the same play, right? Like you'd have to, you'd have to give me an actual play call with a formation and stuff. Right. Uh, right. But like it, it's formation or motion formation, 12 duo motion formation 13 duo and it's just you're you're just running either yeah. side of the either side of the center um and getting in there but you get to it from different ways using different personnel using different formations etc but at the end of the day when you know you're going to get to that same destination at yeah. set hut and you're going to have the angles that you're that feel familiar and use the techniques that you have practiced time right. and time again, like the ability to do something over and over and over is a good thing. And if you can actually pull that off as an offense, that is way better, uh, specifically in the run game. Pass game, I think, is, is more of an interesting discussion. But right. specifically in the run game, that is better than some ridiculous variety of, of trying to execute a you know 28 different plays in a game. And so again, they're not, and it's not like they're doing something remedial here. And the other thing right. they do a really nice job of is they, is they do, is they insulate the run. And what I mean by insulate the run is like you protect the run. So I, you know, I've got a whole bunch of offensive line buddies, and one of the things, you know, I'm working at this high school now, and I work with Will Montgomery, who was a former player here and played in the NFL for ten years. Mm-hmm. And one of his big gripes is like you need to make sure every run is insulated. And what he means by that is like when we're running duo, what's our play action on pass off a of duo? What is right. another look we can get to? And we talked about the jet sweeps. They ran one with Gibson in the game. They ran one with Curtis, right? Those are excellent kind of things that insulate the run because duo is a very downhill action. It draws the linebackers in nice and tight. So if you're going to do that and we need to find a way to loosen you up, let's run a jet sweep, right? And right. I don't care if it goes for five yards, four yards, seven yards, whatever. Now right. the next time I By run the way, that if a run goes for seven yards, even if it's a jet sweep, like that's a seven-yard run. Take that all right. day. Right. And so the next time that he sees that jet sweep action, he's going to be a little bit late to react and the double team can get there. Right. Or he sees or, or we do or we're running the play action pass or, or we ran the play action pass. And we run duo again. There's a little bit of doubt in that defender's mind about whether I should fit this or not. So they're, you know, they're, they're running inside outside zone. They're running, um, you know, tight zone. They're running a little bit of RPO kind of stuff, not as much as they were before, but it's definitely a part of their offense. But the thing that they're hanging their hat on, the thing that they're going to call between seven and 12 times a game is a version of duo. And then they're going to get probably four or five little variations in terms of jet sweep. And then they're going to run the play action pass probably three times. Right. So there are, so I mean, how many plays is that? That's about 25 plays. They ran whatever they ran. Right in terms of probably 50, 60 plays. So there's other plays in there. There's other pass concepts, there's other runs, but it's a big chunk of what they what they do and what they want to be. And I think having that in there has simplified what the offensive line does. And I think the other thing, 
is it speaks really well to what the offensive line does. I mean, right. Tyler Larson, Tyler Larson is like a 330 pound center. Norwell's 335 pound guard. Trey Turner's in that same sphere. They're big guys. We talked about how in the screen game specifically, they're not really dexterous and athletic, right? They are really good at being big and leaning on people and covering guys up and duo is the perfect play for that group inside. Right. And so I you see them kind of be able to mollywop people, right? And that's what they want to be. Yeah, I saw a great uh, pair of stats yesterday, uh, from, one from one of the guys from PFF, who said the commanders uh, over the last seven games have uh, it's negative 0.08 EPA mm -hmm. uh, on pass plays. So yeah. they're like negative on pass plays, <laughs> but they're six and one in that time. Right. Record wise. That should yep. not be possible. And then right. Nikki Javala had a great stat that I, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but basically uh, Washington's rush yardage was about 20%, 23%, something in there for the mm -hmm. first six games of the season. And since it's accounted for almost 50%, it's like high 40s, 46, 48, somewhere in yeah. there. And I'm just like, that's it. That's it. That is the formula. They are literally doing the things they're good at and avoiding yeah. the things they're bad at, which by the way means because that pass uh, offense is not stellar, it doesn't matter as much because it's just not a big part of what they do. Right. You know, if I'm really bad at speaking Spanish, that doesn't really affect this podcast because right. we do this in English. And right. so not that I'm always great at English, but that's a whole different story, <laughs> Logan. You shut your mouth.